Lord says this, After this there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is in Jerusalem by the Sheep Gate a pool in Aramaic called Bethesda, which has five roofed colonnades. In these lay a multitude of invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had already been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be healed? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up, and while I am going, another steps down before me. Jesus said to him, Get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once the man was healed, and he took up his bed and walked. Now that day was the Sabbath. So the Jews said to the man who had been healed, It is the Sabbath, and it is not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he answered them, The man who healed me, that man said to me, Take up your bed and walk. They asked him, Who is the man who said to you, Take up your bed and walk? Now the man who had been healed did not know who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. Afterward, Jesus found him in the temple and said to him, See, you are well. Sin no more, that nothing worse may happen to you. The man went his way and told the Jews that it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why the Jews were persecuting Jesus, because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My father is working until now, and I am working. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. Please be seated. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you that you are here in our midst through your Holy Spirit. We thank you that you've given us minds to think and, and uh, uh, the ability to read your word. Thank you for the translation of your scripture that you've given us. Uh, but we need your help. We need your Holy Spirit's help today as we interact with your text. And we pray for that and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is a new section in the Gospel of John. Uh, what's happened is uh, John, as he writes this under God's inspiration, uh, you can just see the sections. He's not just sitting there with random thoughts and something occurs and a thought flies by. Uh, there's a plan. Uh, John might say there was a human plan, but we know there was a godly divine plan. This section, now that we're through Jesus' first week of ministry, through the uh, first uh, prologue of the first 18 verses or so that, that lay out what's happening. Now we come to a section where we see an increased mounting opposition to Jesus. Uh, John doesn't just give the miracle. He gives a miracle, an account of, of one of Jesus' miracles in context and then shows the dialogue around it. And we are seeing some hostility and opposition to Jesus and his ministry. 
Uh, we understand John is different than the synoptics, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, they have some similarities. They are not the same as each other, and they all are worthy, wonderful scriptures in their own right. They're God's word. Uh, if you spend the rest of your life in any one of them and say, I'm just going to become an uh, by God's grace, I'm going to become as good of an expert on, on Scripture, and I'm going to start with Matthew, and I'm going to branch out, but Matthew's where my own, I'm going to plant my flag in my own Bible study. You'd be doing well, or Mark, or Luke. Uh, but John is different. And he's given a lot more dialogue and a lot less miracles. And in this dialogue, as he's writing 20 years later, uh, he's coming along, and talking about what Jesus went through and what Jesus said, what Jesus said about himself. And here we see the beginnings of the hostility toward Jesus. Um, we're going to talk about two ways, two ways that Jesus uh, uh, would have been tempted as we are tempted, tempted like us yet without sin. Uh, in our own declaring who Jesus is. There's a temptation in the face of hostility, at least for me. What do I do if I know it's going to be an unpopular thing? Well, first thing is, well, I'm going to tone it down. Uh, somebody speaks back and pushes back on, on Jesus as the way, the truth, and the life. Well, I'm going to pick my battles is how I'm going to tell myself but the hostility can quiet me. Jesus had hostility. It did not deter him from his task. Others that I know, and maybe if I push through that, I'm going to give way to bitterness and anger at those, and I'm going to be very, very tempted to speak the truth without love, almost amening the fact that these enemies of God are on their way to a Christless eternity and they're getting what's coming to them. And I don't care. Uh, and both are, are, are things that uh, we must guard against. Paul, in his letter, said, speaking the truth in love, we proceed to share the gospel. And both of those are necessary. And we tell the truth in the face of hostility and rather than give way to bitterness toward this world and toward the enemies and toward persecution of God's people, uh, we, we say, God, help me to fight against bitterness, against cynicism. Uh, give me the joy of the gospel and let me see what God has done and let me just share it, talk about it. Uh, Boyce, uh, James Boyce said, uh, in his commentary. The conclusion of all this is that Jesus Christ did not respond to the hostility of the leaders of Israel toward him with bitterness any more than he allowed their criticism to deter him from his path to the cross. In this reaction, we have a pattern for our own. He goes on to point out a section in Pilgrim's Progress that John Bunyan wrote where Pilgrim had to walk and there were these two chained vicious animals. And then Boyce compares them to the hostility and toward our own tendency, toward bitterness. And Christian just looks right ahead, and he sees the light, and he, he keeps on the straight path. Looking at Jesus uh, is our way through those uh, temptations and tendencies for us. So in the coming weeks, we get to see Jesus at work, teaching, healing, moving toward the cross. 
and I'm glad that we get to do this in, in John's gospel. Now, I'm not sure when I read the text, I'm not sure what text you follow along with. If you've got the ESV, you would have you would have, would have seen what I saw and read what I read. I believe if you have the NIV, you made a mental adjustment, and, and it would point out something. If you're carrying a King James, for instance, though, uh, you might say, that pastor left out verse 4. You read your ESV, it goes, it goes verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, verse 5, 6, 7. Where's verse 4? What happened to verse 4? What did happen to verse 4? Well, it happens to just a very small handful of verses in your New Testament text. What's going on here? Verse 4 is a section about uh, uh, how an angel would come down by this waters, and the angel would stir the waters. And when the angel stirred the waters, the person who was the first one to dip his toe in or dive in or something, would be the one healed. And that's uh, context to the story. Uh, John Calvin gave a great uh, explanation for all of that because John Calvin was operating with a text that had that verse 4 in it. Here's the issue. And this is, this is we're going to get to this more in depth when we get to the woman who's uh, caught in adultery where Jesus famously said, uh, famously possibly said, uh, you without sin cast the first stone. At the end of Mark, uh, those last verses in chapter 16 where it talks about the, the drinking deadly poison and handling the poisonous snakes, um, those are in some manuscripts, but they're not in most of them. And as we keep finding more and more Dead Sea Scrolls, we find things, we realize the earliest manuscripts don't have verse 4 in it. Somebody put that in by way of explanation is what we think. Boy, I had a guy that was really mad at me one time, Lou. Lou was a firebrand for the guy. And Lou came up and he brought, his, he brought his translation of the Bible in and he said, how come we're using this? This is way back in, in the Delaware days. And Lou loved God and I love Lou. And Lou said, how come our Bible cut this out. I said, you could ask it that way, brother, or you could say, how come this one added something to the word that's not supposed to be there? And then we talked about text and, and finding text. And, uh, and so we understand, we need to understand right away, the Bible is God's word, 100%. Inerrant, infallible, the Bible is God's word. Not the Bible in any particular translation into English is 100%. We have translators. We translate God's word. We find the text. Godly scholars, men and women have poured their lives in. Um, there is a handful of smattering that aren't there. To take that away does nothing to the core doctrines of scripture. It's just somebody, if I said, okay, you played the telephone game in, in, in school probably as little kids. Teacher would try to tell you, and she would say something, you know, the first one, and you have to whisper it to the next one, the next one, the next one. And she's telling you that by the time the gossip gets to the end, it's all different and all that. And usually in our class, we had jokers, clowns, people who would absolutely say something 
absolutely different that had nothing to do with the first, just to be funny. Um, but even if people are really trying to play the telephone game, or if I had, uh, if I, if I had three old letters that uh, my dad wrote to my mom when they were in the falling in love stage, and I said, okay, our assignment is this, and it has to start with Linda, and she has to copy them down. Well, I, I'd pretty much trust Linda to copy it word for word. Um, but it would come to Mark. It'd come tomorrow. It'd come back all the way around. I bet, I bet if all you had was not the original letters, and it was copying it down, and maybe it was hundreds of copies, and let's say everybody in our congregation was here and not some away, um, and, and then we, we did that experiment over uh, our kids and our generations to come, and there's copying, 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 there would be a human error. We allow for that. We understand God's word is God's word. Scripture is God's scripture. It's infallible. It's inspired by God. But we say in the original autographs. In the original autographs. If there is a display in heaven that has the Bible in it, what would it be? It would be the ESV, because that's what we used in our church. Uh, no. Um, Somebody went to the museum, I guess it was Rick Bangs that went to the Museum of the Bible, loved it. You get a chance to go to D.C. Somebody went there and was telling me about that this week. Go see it. But the original autographs, the original John writing it down. And so that's, why, that's what happened to verse 4. That's not what the sermon's about, but I want you to say uh, uh, that, that, that's why verse 4 isn't, is, is not there in your text. Because they found better manuscript evidence that that one wasn't there. doesn't give us a license to say, we don't like this verse, so we're not going to have it, as so many churches are going to do. No, overwhelming. So that, that, that's where that was. There's probably a note uh, in your scriptures uh, that might have something uh, in your Bibles that have something to do with that. Anyway, where we are, we are this morning looking at this account of Jesus and this man who'd been sick for 38 years. And I want three points this morning. Two of them are two of the questions that are found in the scripture. First point is, do you want to be healed? Second point is, who healed you? And the third point is something that Jesus said and was accused of saying, I am equal with God. So point number one, do you want to be healed? Jesus comes along. There's this place where all these sick people are, lame people, blind people. Uh, These are the people that Maybe regular people going about their daily business didn't see unless they deliberately wanted to look. But this was the hurting folks. These are the sad stories. These are the people that uh, were, the, the Bible says, invalids. They, they, were, they were unable to work, and especially in that culture. Uh, um, so there they were. And Jesus is walking along there uh, among the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. It says in verse 5, one man was there who'd been an invalid for 38 years. And Jesus saw him lying there. And Jesus knew because Jesus knows. He knew he'd been there a long time. And he said to him, do you want to be healed? Now, it would seem like a no-brainer. Like Jesus is just playing with him. Like almost a, somebody could go up and be taunting. Do you want to be healed? 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 That wasn't Jesus' point. Do you want to be healed? 
and you think, well, that's a question that, of course, the guy wants to be healed. Wouldn't he? Here's a man who somebody had to drop him off. He's a lame man. Somebody, he'd been there for 38 years, so he'd been eating for 38 years. His body had been functioning in other ways. He just was a lame man and couldn't walk. Somebody brought him there every day, every couple of days. Did people come through? Somebody had taken care of that man's body for 38 years. And Jesus says, do you want to be healed? Well, of course, you would think. But I read a couple of quotes in the Middle East where it says, uh, uh, not everybody in the Middle East, you think about it, if you've got a problem and you're a beggar, you're making more money than you would make trying to get back into the workforce after 38 years. Uh, maybe you think you want to be healed, but maybe the devil you know is better than the devil you don't know. Maybe you can get used to at least what you're living in. Do you want to be healed? Do you want to be healed, he says? Well, he had a routine. Why do people stay with people who uh, put them through terrible things? Well, sometimes they stay because they're more afraid of what's out there. Do you want to be healed, Jesus asks. In seminary, one of my pastors, okay, now understand, seminary is 30 years ago. Pastor told the story of a incident that happened, my understanding, about 20 years in this past, so about 50 years ago, in an unnamed church. There was a lady who would go to this unnamed church, and her husband was an alcoholic. And she had a, a rough life at home, but she could go to church and she could say, oh, pray for my husband, pray for my husband, that he gets, that God will save him, pray, pray, pray. And she got all the love and the sympathy and the hugs because of her alcoholic husband. And then one time, God answered prayer. The alcoholic husband was saved by God. He got back to work. He started coming to church. And there was a little part of that woman who kind of, missed all the attention she was getting before her husband was healed. Uh, she kind of liked being the one poor so-and-so with the alcoholic husband. And, and did she really want him? Well, at times, my, my professor said at times, it seemed like she was kind of would like to go back to the old days when she could come to church and be a somewhat celebrity. Uh, do you want to be healed? Do you really want to be healed? What are you asking for? What's here? People get comfortable in our ruts. Uh, what if you get healed? Then new set of circumstances. So the man responds to Jesus. And the man said, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up and while I'm going another steps down before me. He wasn't answering, do I want to be healed or not? He was talking about why he was laying there and hadn't been healed and why he couldn't get to the water. And Jesus healed him. Jesus said, forget the water part of things. Forget the, the myth of the angel stirring uh, that you believe, whatever is going on here. He said, get up, take up your bed, and walk. And at once, the man was healed, and he took up his bed 
and he walked. Jesus didn't say, grab him, grab his mat, say, hold on tight with your hands, drag him to the water, wait for the stirring of the water and push him in before everybody else. He didn't say, coming through, coming through. Hey, you guys, let's form a line here. He's been here 38 years. How long have you been here? And line him up. Uh, no, didn't need all of that. Whatever may or may not have been going on there. Uh, Calvin did say that was, when he, when he had that verse and he expounded that verse, he said that was just a picture to people that there was a supernatural healing going on and that there was something outside of the norm and it gave people hope. And that could very well be the case. Uh, we don't know what was going on with the pool. We know what was going on with Jesus and the man. Jesus said, get up, take up your bed, and walk. And the man did. Have you thought about uh, the part of the healing uh, the muscle memory. Think about if you were laying for 38 years, you couldn't even get up. Even if there was a healing, whatever had gone wrong at the start, uh, Jesus had to heal him to get up and walk. I, you wouldn't hardly remember. Your body wouldn't remember how to walk. He got up. He took up his bed. He walked. Okay, so to wrap up this section, uh, we're looking at the physical, but we're seeing Jesus as a spiritual healer as well. Jesus, uh, at many times, uh, he, he healed both body and, and, and soul. Sometimes he healed body. Uh, sometimes the spirit uh, was not. Sometimes he just healed people physically. Sometimes people remain in their physical condition, and we've seen it, uh, but they are healed spiritually. And so I would say the question for you and me today is do you want to get healed spiritually? Jesus can do that with a word. Uh, we gather around our, our, our pool of Bethesda's. We, we gather around the self-help stuff. We might even combine it with things. Uh, we, we want to uh, hang around and try. And Jesus says, do you want to be healed? Here's the ramifications of being healed. Jesus might catch you in the temple and start talking to you about your sin, which he did to this man. You want to get healed, really? You know what it means to be a Christian. Follow Christ. What are the ramifications of spiritual healing? We want to get out of our jam. We want to get out of our mess. Do you want Jesus to heal your sinful, sin-sick soul? It's a no-brainer on the one hand, but how many people initially run to that and after they start to see Jesus saying, take up your cross and follow me, um, uh, it doesn't last. Jesus told a parable about that, about the seed and it falling on certain types of soil. And, and, and sometimes it doesn't, doesn't uh, take. Uh, there's a spiritual something that happens, but it's not salvation. Do you want to be healed? Because Jesus is here. Jesus can heal you. Do you want to be healed? So the man takes up his bed and walks. And he's walking. Uh, one problem, Jesus didn't check his calendar. Jesus forgot that it was the Sabbath day. And he forgot that he was making this man violate Scripture. And so he said, uh, oh, man, I thought it, was, thought it was Sunday and Monday. didn't realize it was Saturday. No, Jesus healed him. But the problem was it was a Sabbath day. And so the next question we find in here from these religious leaders 
uh, of people who, who kept the power. They were in charge of culture. Today, our people in charge of culture are not religious leaders, but we have our ga cultural gatekeepers, and they're all together, and they are telling us how we have to live in this culture. They are suppressing other opinions. Uh, they are educating our kids. They are on every channel, and they are the guardians of the culture. Well, these religious leaders in that day, those Pharisees, those leaders were the guardians of that culture, and they had a culture that was set up for that day. And that culture had a lot to do with the Sabbath. So they didn't initially ask the man um, what, who healed you. They initially said, hey, it's the Sabbath and it's not lawful for you to take up your bed. You shouldn't be carrying your bed on the Sabbath. Now, is there or is there not a commandment that says, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shall you labor and do all your work. Seventh day is the Sabbath for the Lord. Yes, there is. These Pharisees went way beyond that. I read this week, and I'd forgotten about this, if I if had ever, ever seen it. It seemed familiar. The one where they weren't supposed to, to walk only a certain distance, but they could tie a rope from their house to a certain distance, and they could go a little farther if they planned ahead. They could do that on the Sabbath. But uh, uh, as they talked about it, and these theologians defining how you were to operate on the Sabbath. Um, I heard this one. This was a funny one. It was okay to spit on the Sabbath. You could spit. But you couldn't take your sandal and grind your spittle into the earth because that is cultivating the soil. Therefore, you are working on the Sabbath. Uh, there were those kinds of things around it and they were the guardians. Again, it's people with the guardians of the culture that make the rules, that assign things to the rules. Uh, hadn't thought about this until right now for a long time. Paula and I met, by God's grace, in a very, very weird environment, a very, very weird college environment where there were rules for everything. And if you had the handbook and you're reading, there's a rule and there's a certain amount of demerits assigned, no wiping boogers on the wall. That was in the handbook. Why would you have to codify that? Uh, isn't that just common sense? Isn't that what we grow up with? But rules, 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 and then we are the ones who assign how many demerits go with these rules, and if you hit this level, you have this happen to you, and you hit that level, you have that happen to you, and there's just a whole rule-making around this and that's what Jesus was up against. Uh, it wasn't about the rules, it was about who made them and controlled them, who controlled culture. And they said to Jesus, uh, You violated these rules because you did this. At first, they're trying to find him to the man. How come you're taking up your bed and walking? Nothing wrong with taking your bed and walking. If he had owned a moving company, and he said, I got to make a few bucks and go to work on Sunday because business is so good and you got to make hay while the sun shines. And he took six days and he worked his fingers to the bone and he went out and worked on it on that Sabbath day. Uh, that would be a violation of, of the fourth commandment. This man wasn't violating anything by taking up his mat that he was laying on and walking, headed to the temple apparently because that's where they found him. Man said something that also might seem funny to you. He said, I don't even know. He says, get off my back. 
they, they said, it's the Sabbath. It's not lawful for you to take up your bed. But he says, hey, the man who healed me, that man said to me, take up your bed and walk. They said, who's the man who said to you, take up your bed and walk? Now, the man who'd been healed did not know that who it was, for Jesus had withdrawn as there was a crowd in the place. And you'd think if you'd been laying there for 38 years and somebody healed you, you'd think you would know. You'd think you'd find out. Think of 38 years uh, uh, of laying there. Uh, that would be a dramatic day. Uh, do you remember what was happening in our culture 38 years ago? Everybody do the math in their heads. You're doing it right now. You're taking 2023 and you're subtracting 38, 1985. Here's some things that happened. In the course of this guy coming down lame, being hauled in there, uh, this is what would have happened that year between there and now. Uh, New Coke. That was 38 years ago in our culture. New Coke. We still talk about that as a, as a joke or a meme. The first WrestleMania happened 38 years ago. Hulk Hogan and Mr. T took on somebody. Um, Gorbachev became leader of the Soviet Union. Krista McAuliffe designated to become the first teacher in space. Uh, 37 years ago, it would have been in January of 86 that the Challenger blew up. First artificial heart patient to leave the hospital. That was big news 38 years ago. Nowadays, that's uh, in some places, they'd say this is a routine surgery. All that had happened. 38 years, that man's been laying there. Uh, we are the world. Live aid, 38 years ago. Discovery of the wreckage of the Titanic. Didn't even know where it was. They discovered it 38 years ago. Back in the news this year. The Achille Loro. I remembered that. Uh, and if anybody says Leon Klinghoffer, you get bonus points. 38 years ago. I was surprised in looking at all of the terrorism and things that happened. And it's a different world today. It's, it's, it's violent, but it's, it's, it's that way. And then the first international release of Windows 1.0. Windows 1.0, 38. This guy had been there that long. He gets healed. The guy says, take up your bed and walk. He takes up his bed and walks, and he doesn't even know who it was who healed him. And yet you say, well, you know what? Jesus was there by himself without his disciples that day. Jesus wasn't the one that they came running to and begging to to heal them. It was just starting. And so uh, maybe he was just so excited to walk, he just walked, but he didn't know. Now the question by the religious leaders of who healed you wasn't so that they could find Jesus and say, oh, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for your healing power. Thank you. Let's work together and let's see what we can do to make society a better place. It was to squelch him. The man did not matter. The cultural gatekeepers, the ones who want you to keep the rules, aren't as interested uh, in, in, in you and your well-being as they are in who's a threat to our power. And whoever said this was a threat to their power. He was violating uh, their man-made laws, and they wanted to stop him. Jesus did not violate the fourth commandment. He also never did away with it. Still there. But he didn't violate it. And uh, these people who were not happy for the man, who didn't think about works of mercy, you read in the Old Testament, you read 
talking about that Sabbath day, uh, Jesus said, and, and there's been times where, where somebody might say, and, and we say, well, it's Christianese. Somebody says, I can't take that Sabbath day. My ox is in the ditch. There's times when my dad had said, my ox is in the ditch. Guys, we gotta, we got to have something happen. Uh, what does that mean? Jesus said, the fourth commandment is not for you to hurt people or to, or to um, shirk your duties. If you own an ox, that ox fell in that ditch. You can't say, well, it's too bad he fell in on a Friday. He's going to have to suffer down there. Uh, maybe he dies and my livelihood's gone because I've got to observe my Sabbath. Uh, there were provisions made. Get your ox out of the ditch. It's good for the ox. Good for you. There are provisions made. There's a common sense attached to it. And you can even do that while you remember the Sabbath to keep it holy. These people weren't as interested in that. They wanted Jesus, uh, and they wanted him to fall. And so they're starting to build their case. The next three or four chapters, we're going to see this dialogue where they build their case against Jesus. The prevailing culture with their power does not want Jesus to be your king. Why in totalitarian governments do they eliminate Bibles? Why did we grow up hearing about God's smuggler taking Bibles into communist China, communist Russia? Because Bibles weren't allowed there because people might be loyal to Jesus and to King Jesus instead of them. And there's a power uh, uh, that it's all about. And so they were building a case, like a political campaign, doing oppo research on Jesus, trying to find out. And they confronted him. And the man didn't do anything good. He found out it was Jesus. He goes running back to him. Hey, it was Jesus who did that. I'm like, why did he do that? I don't know. But it says in verse 15, the man went away, told the Jews it was Jesus who had healed him. And this was why, John says, the Jews were persecuting Jesus because he was doing these things on the Sabbath. But Jesus answered them, My Father is working until now, and I am working. We understand six days of creation. On the seventh day, God rested from his creating work. The creating was done. But is God uh, taking today off? When I talked to Bruno about his grandmother dying and prayed with him, said, Bruno, uh, God rests on the Sabbath, so God's not going to hear your prayers, and God can't comfort you today, but he'll start comforting you tomorrow when the Christian Sabbath is over. No, God is still the one who kept you alive driving through the flooded roads. God is still sustaining. Uh, there's a sense in which you could say God's still at work doing his works of holding up in mercy. He just stopped his six days of creation. That was done and gave us an example for us to stop our, our regular work on that day. But there is all sorts of good things to be done on a Sunday. Boy, they were down on him. And Jesus said, my father's working until now, and I'm working. And they said, you've even crossed a line now, because now you're making yourself equal with God. Verse 18 John says, this is why the Jews... And when it says Jews, it's not talking about every Jewish person. Uh, Jesus was Jewish. Somebody has a bumper sticker that says, my boss is a Jewish carpenter. They're talking about Jesus. That's a cool, back in the 70s way to, to, to do that. People, that was kind of a 
a Christian fad to, to put on your car. Hey, good. Paul was Jewish. John was Jewish. All these disciples were Jewish. The man who was healed was Jewish. Uh, so it says the Jews were talking about the religious leadership, the power control people were against him. And this is why those religious Jewish leaders were seeking all the more to kill Jesus because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, their version of the Sabbath and how the Sabbath should be, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. They got that part right. Jesus is God, God the Son. We have God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. And they were right in their analysis. They were wrong in their application. And when we see that Jesus made himself equal with God because he was God, later on he would say, I and the Father are one. He would say, no one comes to the Father but through me. Uh, uh, We understand Jesus is God. And that should do a couple of things to us as we wrap this section up and we get ready to move with Jesus into this dialogue that we're going to see next week. It should do one thing. It should blow your mind that Jesus, God, would die on the cross for his people, for you. What kind of a God is that? Died bearing the wrath of God. Somebody had a song based on this, and they, they wrote it because there was all this, you know, people have these things saying, well, Jesus was God, and he died to redeem us from the devil. We were in the devil's clutches. No, the devil was not. He was on the outside of this. Jesus didn't die. He, he could he could take the devil. The devil's just a created being. Now, Jesus, and other people say, well, Jesus died for us. He, he, we are the ones, and he had to overpower us in some way. And how to, No, Jesus died for God. The wrath of God is revealed from heaven, and it's against all of us who have sinned against God. We're born with it. We do it. It's just instinctively. Uh, those gods of culture don't have to work very hard to get us to conform. We want to conform. And Jesus came down to bear the wrath of God on our behalf. When we stop and think about it, it's mind-boggling. And Jesus' question to the man about his physical condition um, is a good question for all of us about our spiritual condition. Do you want to get healed? Jesus will do that and can do that instantly because of what he did on the cross for us. And then the question is, did you get healed? And I left the application part open-ended. I wanted to see how it went here with, 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 with where the text was going. And here's our application. If you're a Christian, you are different. There are two kinds of people in the world, uh, ultimately. And those are the ones who are saved and the ones who are lost. And if you've been saved, you're different. You've been called out. There's something about you. You are 
God's child. You're God's daughter. Uh, and, and you are protected. You've got a God in heaven that's looking out for you. Looking out for you. Uh, and yet, uh, even when the discipline comes, uh, who the Lord loves, he disciplines. We talked about this last week. Uh, when the protection is needed, which is every second of every day, uh, you're God's child. You're different. You are looked on by God different. And ultimately, on Judgment Day, it's sheep and goats. And so think about that. Think about that and, and say, how do I then live with a perspective that I am a Christian, that I'm different, that, that uh, I was presented with my need for repentance and faith in Jesus, and I, I've followed Jesus. God opened my heart. I, I, I followed. I responded to that call, and I'm a Christian. Christians are different. And you're loved. And maybe the one way we'll talk about, because I'm thinking about, um, thinking about people getting older and people passing on, uh, toward heaven, and I'm thinking about Bruno's grandma, but I'm thinking about all of us as we're all a step closer. One way that you're different is your destination is different. And you are on your way to heaven. And you can have a little joy in the journey because of that. Do you want to get healed? Jesus said. Have you been healed? Did you get healed? Let's pray. Thank you, God, for the salvation that you give us through Jesus. We know there are forces that have been against us, uh, the ones who control, the ones who want to remain in power, the ones who uh, set up rules that are, are, we have to abide by uh, to, to be not outcasts in this culture. We thank you that above and beyond those is Jesus. We thank you for Jesus' healing power. We thank you for Jesus' uh, concern with our bodies, but also concerned about our attitude towards sin as he confronted this man in the temple and said, see that you don't sin. Lord, we thank you for Jesus in our lives, and we thank you that we get to be Christians in a fallen world. We pray for so many people that we know and love who may not be Christians yet, who aren't exhibiting that and, and who are, are headed uh, away from you. And we ask, Lord, that you would save, that you would visit these pool of Bethesda again and again and save people. We pray that we get to be a party to that, to see that. In Jesus' name, amen.